So glad to see so many of you here today for our uh, final service of the year. And it's a se- uh, f- Sunday after Christmas as well. Um, let's uh, go to God in prayer as we prepare our hearts to uh, hear God's word. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come and gather in your name. And even as we sit at your feet to listen to your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Don't know about you, but time really does fly. (laughs) At least that's how I feel. You know, I can't uh, uh, even wrap my head around the fact that it's the end of 2023 and we are about to go into a new year. And I've entitled, or I've designated today Vision Sunday primarily because uh, instead of the first Sunday of the year, uh, um, I thought this would be a good time, but really the, the, the reality is because tomorrow I fly off to see my new grandson. <laughs> so I won't be here for the first uh, Sunday of the year. Vicar will be coming to fill in for me and he will be preaching and celebrating communion next week. But as we reflect on what God is calling us to in this new year of 2024, you know, it's good sometimes to just uh, take a step back and look at uh, how He has led us this far. This past year, the theme was for such a time as this, pointing out that, you know, that God has called us in this place, privileged us, and given us the gifts, and called us uh, to such a time, to stand up and be counted for His purposes and His plans. But last year, or 2022, we were reminded to trust and obey. And, you know, to take God at His word and to step out in faith. Because right before that, we had this theme of crossing over. Uh, We were in the midst of moving out of our old sanctuary, coming into the new one. You know, and the word of the Lord from Joshua 1.9 was to be strong and courageous, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And as we look forward into the new year, you know, part of that uh, um, um, encouragement from God to Joshua and to the people of Israel who had been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness and were on the cusp of entering into the promised land was uh, um, God reminded them of the promise He gave to Moses. Earlier on in Deuteronomy, he had warned them, and, and, and in, again in chapter 1, verse 3, he said to Joshua that every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised Moses. And so the theme for this coming year is really a continuation of all these themes. You know, that we are crossing over, that we have to trust and obey, that we are called for such a time as this. But the, the, the charge... I believe, is for us to step up and to step out. To step up and to step out. What in particular does that mean? We're going to look at this reading from uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And this book of Ephesians is really a book in which uh, Paul addressed the concept of the church of God, the ecclesia, what God intended as a new society. You know, when God calls us, He calls us to a new life individually. That's for sure. That's why we, you know, encourage people to say the sinner's prayer to make a decision uh, on a, a personal basis. We, we teach our children 
as uh, here, you know, you cannot inherit <laughs> your faith, right? Every, the, God has no grandchildren, sometimes people uh, uh, like to say, that each and every one of us are His child, that each and every one of us needs to come into a direct relationship with Him. But Paul also clearly points out in the book of Ephesians that he not only calls, out, calls us out individually, he calls us out and puts us into a new community. That God has an intention that we will form a new society. And let's look at this because, you know, in verse 11 of chapter 2, he picks it up. And, and the idea is this, you know, he needed to remind the Ephesians who are reading this letter that they, the way they were, okay, how we were before we were called out. And he starts by saying, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, you know, there was an us versus them mentality, not only in Ephesus, but even in, in a lot of the early church, right? The uh, Judaizers had been, if you read the book of Acts, uh, um, causing havoc, you know, in, in Paul's mission, trying to um, uh, uh, divide the church and, and, and uh, pointing out, you know, that uh, there are two different grades of Christians in that sense. And that if you needed to be a Christian, you needed to follow the Jewish ritual laws. And, you know, it's, it's a, 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 an instinct that's very, very human. We, in our day and age, still continue to see, maybe not between Gentiles and Jews, but certainly uh, an us versus them mentality is there. You know, that's why there's so, uh, uh, the society has become so charged and so polarized. That there's a tendency sometimes to objectify the other person or the other group of people. We label them, and we either dehumanize them, or worse still, we demonize them. Make them out to be the worst people possible, without recognizing the humanity in each and every one of us. And Paul then goes on to point out that in your former life, in their former life, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Bill Hendrickson in his uh, uh, commentary said it this way, that they were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. Right? That they, without Christ, were in a desperate state. And, you know, actually if you read the chapter a little bit earlier, it, it, it's a parallel uh, in the earlier verses because Paul makes this point even more uh, uh, stark and, and clear in a personal way because he starts out the chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, we cannot really accept the good news until we fully comprehend the bad news. Right? We may not uh, um, accept the good news of the fact that there is a medical cure which seems, you know, 
pretty drastic until we accept the fact that we, uh, the bad news is that we are desperately sick. That is the nature uh, of, of life, isn't it? And so Paul points out the bad news first and foremost so that they can truly receive the good news. And what's the good news? The good news is this, but now, you know, someone uh, pointed out that it's the most important phrase in the Bible, if you read through it, you know, it's but now, or but God, right? Uh, there's always a turning point, and God makes such a difference. Anyway, in this passage, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he goes on then in verse 14 to say, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That Jesus Christ is our peace. And the picture he is painting about this dividing wall of hostility is one that the Jewish Christians would have understood in uh, his day. Because, you know, if you were to have gone to Jerusalem and you walk into the temple of Jerusalem built by Herod, the second temple, you would have come across a stone in the court of the Gentiles. And this was an archaeological find. And let me read for you the translation of the, the words in the Greek. It says there, Let no foreigner enter within the parapet and the partition which surrounds the temple precincts. Anyone caught violating will be held accountable for his ensuing death. <laughs> well, you ever been to some of these government uh, um, placements, like a substation or something, and you see the sign, you know, beware, and they show a person showing a gun? I think this is a far worse warning, right? <laughs> Telling you, you cross over, not only will you be prosecuted, you'll be shot to death. And that was the wall that divided those who were within a Jewish community and those without. And what Christ did was He brought down that wall. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just bring peace. He himself embodies peace. How did he do that? It carries on in verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he may create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Basically, in these two verses, he points out the two ways in which Jesus has brought about peace. First and foremost, he abolished the law. Abolished the law in terms of its ceremonial regulations, which created this old feeling of us versus them. Who was within the boundary and who was outside the boundary. The markers were very important to define Jewish identity. That was why, you know, there was such controversy uh, between the early believers those who were of Jewish uh, descent and those who were not. But not only did he abolish the ceremonial law, he, abolished, he did not abolish the moral law, okay? Very clearly from uh, um, um, Sermon on the Mount, it says he did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. But what he did abolish was the condemnation that is upon us because we fail to keep the moral law. And I'll say a little bit more about that as we carry on because I'm going to look at uh, uh, the sweep of the New Testament text 
to show us what Jesus did on the cross for us. So he abolished the law on the one hand. He broke down that wall which divides. But he then also reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross. That he reconciled us to God is absolutely important. Right? That's the problem all of us have is that we, sin has separated us from God, separated us from our Creator, separated us from the very purposes to which God has created each and every one of us. And if you stop and you think about it, and if you dig a little bit deeper, all our projects, all our human projects, of which all of us, 100%, we fall short of, we fail. Even, you know, when we accomplish what we set out to do, we find some other part of our life falls out, <laughs> right? How, how often do you find this person who is successful in life as far as uh, the world would consider success in terms of status or wealth or position, finds that their health fails or that their family falls apart, right? That all our attempts to reconcile uh, um, or, or to find peace stems from the fact that we are not at peace with God. And what Jesus did on the cross is He reconciled us to God. But in reconciling us to God, He then reconciles us to one another. Nowhere, nowhere is this more apparent than in the church. I think I've told this story a few times already, and you know, forgive me if you've heard it before, but it's in my mind, it's stuck there, it's very hard to erase I remember in my younger days going to a hawker center and, you know, the place we went was very popular and so there were no seats to be had. So we asked to share a table, my brother and I, with uh, uh, another two guys who were sitting there. And we sat down and we, you know, ordered our food and the food came, you know, and um, at some point it struck me that this is an unusual uh, two people sitting there. Why unusual? Because they were in quite... Um, deep conversation, and they looked to be very good friends. And they were talking at length, and, you know, they were sharing, laughing, talking. I didn't hear what they're saying. I'm not an eavesdropper. <laughs> it's just the, uh, um, the body language, right? Tells you that this is uh, 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 two good friends. The only problem was, it struck me as unusual because the guy was a young Chinese man, and the older man was an older Indian gentleman. And that's rare, right? Even in our society, although we try and say, uh, regardless of race, language, or religion, the reality is that divisions are still there along racial lines. And, you know, so I, I took note of that. In some ways, it was there. But what was really interesting was when they finally finished their meal and they got up, both of them picked up from their seats, which I couldn't see at the time, Bibles, and they walked away. And I said to myself, wow, this is what God's church is meant to be like, where we transcend the boundaries that the world tries to set up, the dividing wall of hostility, where you can go to church, and, and my friend was telling me when he was ministering in this church, he saw a district judge at the communion rail with an ex-offender who had been jailed by that very same judge receiving communion together from the Lord. Where else does this happen in society? 
You know, and this is precisely what God did in Jesus Christ. He broke down the wall of the law, but He also erected bridges that, you know, reconciles us to God and then to one another. Like they say, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And then uh, Paul continues, And He came, Jesus that is, came and preached peace to those of you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That Jesus came to break walls, but also to build bridges. To break walls and to build bridges. What does that mean for us? How are we to go about doing that? You know, that's precisely the mission that Jesus was given. But if you remember the Great Commission, right? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. You as in the individual Christian, but you specifically the church, the people of God, His new society. Earlier in the chapter, you know, Paul in verse uh, uh, 4 continues from where I picked up, you know, where the way they were. Instead of, but now, here Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And this is an important uh, 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 truth that we need to imbibe and instill in our hearts. That, you know, the reason we can come into relationship with people who are not like us the reason we can have patience with them, the reason why we can learn even to love them despite the fact that the world may think of them as an unlovable, is because we recognize who are we. <laughs> we are trophies of God's grace. That we did not save ourselves. We were not lovely in and of ourselves. We were not worthy in and of ourselves. But it is God's great love that met us. And that in His love, we are being transformed from glory to glory because of what God is doing in our lives. You know, my uh, daughter sent a picture of my grandson. Uh, sorry, I can't stop talking about him. <laughs> but it's amazing because he's only three and a half weeks old now. And it's like in three weeks, you can see the maturation, you know. <laughs> she, she had him in the same uh, pose and then you can see the development of the child. But, you know, in the same way, if I think if we were to take snapshots of our lives... You may not think anything has happened, sometimes because you go through life. But I'm pretty sure, because I've gotten to know you guys over the last eight years, you know, I can see development in each and every one of our lives. We're not there yet. Yes, there's a way to go. But God is at work in each and every one of our lives. But that reminds us that, you know, God can, if He can do that with me, 
He can do that with anyone. Right? And this, you know, uh, uh, I, I want to uh, point out then, that he points out finally in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And if anything, this should be our theme verse for 2024, to step up and to step out. That God, you know, created us, we are his workmanship, that he has prepared us for this such a time as this, so that we can step up and step out into the destiny He has for us, big and small, in the places God has placed us, whether it be in our work or in our social life, in our neighborhoods, and especially for us as Church of the Good Shepherd here in this neighborhood of Queenstown, that we should walk in the works which God has called us to. But what's the motivation? 2 Corinthians 5. You know, all of this is uh, the outcome of a, a staff retreat which we had last October. <laughs> or, or not last October, October just passed. You know, and, and these were words that were spoken not only to us as staff, but in our church prayer meeting and, and things like that. And, and we're taking this to heart. It's not just me who's saying this, but I think God is saying this to us as the body of Christ. You know, we are reminded that it is the love of Christ that controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That our lives are now in Jesus Christ. But Paul makes it even clearer as he uh, goes on then in verse 18 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, we've been reconciled. The bridges have been built so that we would continue the work to bring reconciliation to others. That is, in Christ Jesus, God was reconciling the world to Himself. That God's at work in the world through us. right? Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, if we won't go, how will they hear? How lovely are the feet of them who bring good news, is what uh, uh, Paul says. And he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the good news. The love of God controls us, the ESV says, in NIV, it says it compels us. The NRSV says it urges us on. Uh, I like the message, you know, Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase says, it moved me to such extremes <laughs> that if we understand God's great love for us, how can we keep it to ourselves? It was never meant to be kept under wraps. It's not a secret. So we are to step up and to step out, to break down the walls of hostility that we see all around us, to build bridges to those whom, you know, uh, 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 you know uh, uh, um, find that the gulf is so great that they can't uh, uh, come into relationship, especially with God. And to that end, I mean, coming right up, if I may make a commercial break, right? 
20th of January, we have a training session here in our um, building organized by Koinonia Inclusion Network KIN uh, to teach us how to be uh, welcoming. And, and Kafum will talk about that a little bit more. There's still places, and I hope we would consider signing up for that. You know, some people ask, why are we doing this, Pastor? It's because of this. That God has called us to step up and to step out. To break down walls, to build bridges to those whom, you know, the world and, and society has forgotten. That is what we are called to do. Let me close and end with this thought. Our reading from Joshua was about the people of God crossing into the promised land. The generation that left Egypt had a hardness of heart. They murmured and they grumbled against God. And ultimately, their unbelief prevented them from entering into the land that God promised. But this whole new generation had come up, and so Joshua had to prepare them, had to consecrate them by circumcising all of them. But, you know, this line is there which really struck me that they had the Passover and they ate the Passover meal and they began to eat of the fruit of the land. And the moment they did that, that miracle that happened in the wilderness, the manna stopped. Now some of you may think, Ayo, no more miracles. Ah. We fail to see sometimes the greater miracle is the fact that they now entered into the promise that God had for them. They may have looked at it and said, Ayah, more work. Now I have to actually till the ground and plant my own food. But I don't know if you are like me. I don't mind the uh, effort because if every day eating the same thing, I'm damn <laughs> But, you know, the reality is they were entering into the full promise that God had for them. And as we think about, you know, all the foreshadowing in the Old Testament, the Passover points to the cross, doesn't it? Where Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for us so that death might pass over and that we may have eternal life. And now we enter into His promise and there is work to be done, yes. But there's such great fulfillment in doing that work, in being a part of God's end-time harvest, that, you know, at this point, it demarcated where they stopped being consumers, and finally the people of God became contributors. That they no longer just sat back and received, and there's nothing wrong with receiving. Everything we have comes from Him. Even, you know, the things which we work for, the strength and the abilities to do those things all come from God. We no doubt receive, but now we are given the honor of being fellow workers with God and beginning to contribute. You all remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Right? Tremendous miracle. The crowds had come out to hear Jesus teach. And, uh, you know, night was about to fall and these people needed to be fed. And Jesus, you know, put a test before the disciples. And I don't know, the, the great faith or their desperation, they finally brought to Jesus five loaves and two fish. And with that, you know that great miracle, right? As he divided and as he prayed, he gave to everyone. And not only that, 12 basketfuls of leftovers were collected at the end of it. But do you ever read what happens after? 
Jesus was exhausted from ministry. He had to cross over to the other side so that he could escape the crowds. Uh, and, and, you know, the disciples went on the boat. He walked on water <laughs> to get there. And the crowds who had gathered around him, not enough. They began to pursue him. You read that in uh, John chapter 6. And they pursued him and they continued to demand of him. You know, they, they had wanted to uh, um, elevate him as king. And that's partly also why he withdrew. Because that was not the kind of king he was coming to be. Just to feed your hungry stomach. And we pick it up from verse 30. It says, So they said to him, this is the crowd, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, you know, out of the uh, concern of their heart, maybe out of the greed in, in their desire, they said, sir, give us this bread always. Right? They saw, wow, no need to work anymore. <laughs> but Jesus pointed out this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, we are Asians. You know, bread is not our staple. Some of us may eat bread in the morning, but not everyone. Not all of us have kaya toast every day, right? It's a treat. But in their context, that was their staple. I, I would imagine if Jesus had been ministering in our culture, he may have said to us, I am the rice of life. Right? Okay, maybe some of you keto diet, you don't eat carbs anymore. It doesn't quite apply. But you, you know what I mean, right? I, I, I don't know if you've ever encountered people, right? They can go to a wedding banquet, eat eight courses, at the end, still not full. Why? No rice. So they call the waiter, come, 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 give me one bowl of rice, please. You know, this idea that ultimately we won't find our satisfaction in anything other than he who is the bread of life. And oftentimes, you know, we fail to step up and step out because we sometimes think I have to pursue these other things in life. That I have to busy myself with all these other agendas. Because I need to satisfy my desires or my needs or my wants. But Jesus is saying to us, that Jesus is the bread of life. He says to us, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Let us in 2024 as Church of the Good Shepherd really step up and step out. Let us pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have in store for me in this year? How can I step into the destiny that you have for me? How can I walk where you call me to walk so that, Lord, we may make a difference, a gospel difference, a kingdom of God difference in the world that he has placed us? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'd like us right now just to take a moment of silence.
and ask the Lord this one question. Lord, what are you saying to me about 2024? What is God calling you to be? What is He calling you to do? In what ways is He calling you to step up and to step out into? Mind you, this is not about making New Year's resolutions. Resolutions have to, be, have to do with what I want to discipline myself to do. This is about hearing what God wants us to do. And trusting His Word and then obeying it. God, our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love towards us. We are so grateful, Lord, that ultimately it is by grace through faith that we have been saved, not of ourselves, that any of us can ever boast that it is a gift from you, not a result of our works. And we believe, Lord, that we are your workmanship created in Jesus Christ for the works you have called us to. That you have prepared them beforehand and that, Lord, we are to walk in them. Help us, Lord, to walk into our destiny to step forward in faith. Even if we may feel inadequate in and of ourselves, help us, Lord, to trust in you. Your promise that if we are strong and courageous, that, Lord, we should not be discouraged. We should not be uh, uh, turned aside or distracted. But that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Thank you, Lord. We ask and we pray all these things in your Son's most precious name and our God's people say, Amen.